Last week, we were in Postscript 4, I believe, right? Postscript 4. And Brendan was talking about the Great Commission. And I told him later, I said, in all the years that I've been in church, about 30 now, I've never heard a greater summarization of the Great Commission than, let me tell you about the one I love. Absolutely. And for those, just a, great, just a brief reminder, he, he said, when I am in love with somebody like my wife or my children, I can't wait to tell you about them. I want you to meet them. I want you to come be with them. And so he was telling us about that, and he says, that's basically the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Come, let me tell you about the one I love. Let's keep meeting. Let's keep gathering together. Let's worship. Let's keep talking about the one I love. And before you know it, he'll become the one you love. And then you'll go out, and you'll say, let me tell you about the one I love. It just was a brilliant, brilliant summarization of the Great Commission. Let me show you the one I love. In order to do this, we have to take time to get to know them, don't we? When you really love somebody, you want to spend time with them. You get to know them, and sometimes then you know more about them. You know who they are. You know how they're wired. Have you ever just really needed a friend? Somebody that you do not have to wear a mask with. Somebody that you can sit with. And just say, let me tell you what's going on in my life. And have no filter. Somebody that you can say, let me be honest with you. Somebody that will tell you how it is. I was thinking about this. And and sometimes it's family. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes family is not that place where you can be really honest and really real and really authentic. I would probably say for most of us, it's probably the majority. But that true friend, that one person that you can hang out with and just be you. Oh, what a sweet place to be. Have you ever needed somebody like that in your life? As I was thinking about this, um, my sister Sandy is three years older than I am, and she is my friend. She is somebody that when I'm with her, here it is. This is it. And I was thinking about sometimes you need a friend. Beth came up to me right before we were coming up here. She goes, let me just check your shirt because your back, the shirt was tucked into your pocket. That's a good friend. I <laughs> would tell you that. It's a good friend when someone tells you you got something on your face or in your teeth. That's a good friend. My sister and I would go clothes shopping together years and years ago. I don't think I've bought new clothes in 20 years. But a long time ago, we used to go clothes shopping together. And I would put something on and be like, oh, this is so comfortable. I love this. This is great. And I'd walk out of the dressing room and she'd go, no. (laughs) You're not buying that. We need friends like that. We need friends that we can be honest with. When grandma's meal is really subpar, we don't really tell grandma it's subpar, do we? We don't tell grandma this. But when a friend makes something nasty, we can tell them, don't make that again. Leave that dish at home. Do you have a friend like that? Because we all need one. We need friends who see our flaws. We need friends that we don't have to be so holy around. 
We need friends that we can quit being a Pharisee around and we can just be us. Don't we? We need someone that will hold nothing against us. We, have, we need people that we can, we can vomit the things. we Like Mark Spencer says, we can peel it off the right side of our brain, put it into words, and the friend will just let it all blow away. They won't hold it against you. They won't say, well, you said, when really you were just thinking out loud. We need to be having friends where they don't demand anything of us. We need to have friends that are slow and unhurried with no agenda. Do you have a friend like this? We need a friend that when life has filleted you open and everything is bare and the darkest parts of everything that you know is exposed and they still love you. A real friend is somebody that when you're having a pity party and you're having all this um, anxiety about your life and nothing's going right and nobody likes you, they'll come and you're like, the aroma you're giving off is just nasty. Who no, you don't want to be with yourself, but the friend will come sit with you. We need a friend that will say to you, you're okay. We got this. That's the real kind of friend we need. Now, there are friends and there are acquaintances, right? (laughs) People you may have the friend title. Let's take Facebook, for example. (laughs) We have hundreds of Facebook friends. But really, they're acquaintances. We also have people that may say they're a friend, but you don't trust them. People you can't count on. People who hurt you, betray you. People who forsake you. The Bible tells us that we have a real friend. A friendship that has been modeled for us as old as the garden. And with Moses... In Exodus 33, Moses puts out the tent. He goes into the tent on a regular basis to be with God, to spend time with God, to talk with him, to sit with him, to let God talk with him. And it says in Exodus 33, I I don't want to not get this right. This is the New Living Translation, and it's Exodus 33. And it says this, He's in the tent of meeting with the Lord. Everyone that wanted to consult with the Lord would go there to this tent of of meeting. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Do we view God in that way? Is he our friend? Because I remember a time where, uh, when I was first becoming a Christian, I couldn't do, I couldn't think about that. I couldn't think about him as my friend. He was a creator. He was a redeemer. He was a restorer. He was awesome. He was majestic. He was omniscient. He was om, he had all power. That's who he was. He was all these things. And the tension is, 
Yes, he is all these things, but he's also a friend we can sit with as a friend sits with a friend face to face. And I think the Lord wants us to see that. He wants us to see that. He invites us into that. It's an invitation to say, you have a friend like this. You have a friend that is better than all friends. So today we're going to look at the scripture in Luke on the road to Emmaus. We're in postscript. This is post-resurrection. It's in Luke chapter 24. And two disciples are walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem. It's about a seven-mile walk. Seven miles, bad terrain, take you about three hours. Walking for three hours. So they were in a deep discussion about all the things that had been going on. I mean, they're thinking, these are two guys walking together. They're friends. They've been through the most unbelievable three years in history. They become friends with Jesus. They know him. They live with him. They eat with him. They, they are human with him. And then he's gone. And they're like, well, we got to process this. <laughs> There's a lot of processing that needs to happen. So they're walking and they're talking. And in verse 17, a man appears to them. It was Jesus. And it's, he says to them, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you so concerned about? And they stopped short and sadness was written across their faces. They were feeling the missing of a friend. They were talking as friends, and they had sadness. They had emotion. It was real. It was authentic. It was honest. It wasn't hindered. They were being honest about how they were feeling about everything that had happened and how they don't know what's going to happen. Have we been duped? Was this all a joke? Did we misunderstand something? I don't understand what this is. And then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things. What things, Jesus asked. I just loved you. <laughs> and he goes on to tell them, all, they go on to tell them all about the things. Then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining what all the scriptures said about himself. They still don't know it's Jesus. And in verse 32, they said to each other, so they, 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 what, what happened is they loved being with him. They, there was something, a soul-to-soul connection. They loved being with Jesus. They begged him to come back. They said, come be with us for the night. Come stay with us. Let's spend time together because we like you. For some reason, you're really a safe place. So they went back. And as they sat down to eat, Jesus took a small loaf of bread and asked God's blessing on it, broke it, and gave it to them, and suddenly their eyes were opened. The familiarity of a friend will open our eyes. And all of a sudden you're like, oh. And they knew it was Jesus. And they said to each other, then they were reflecting on what had happened after Jesus was immediately gone, and they said, didn't our hearts feel strangely warm as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Jesus is a friend that we have a soul-to-soul connection where we don't even know we need it. 
Didn't our hearts burn when we were with him? Then they realized it, and they realized it, how much Jesus meant to them. You see, with Jesus, there's nothing hidden. There's no mass. It's soul to soul. And I think when I was preparing for this, what I felt like the Lord said to me is, tell them to walk with me. Walk with me as you would walk with a friend. This this concept, this biblical truth that Jesus is our friend is what he wants us to understand. And the depth of the friendship he wants us to enter into and allow him to be with us. There's a story about, um, someone told me this last week, that um, there was a young man, he was 17 years old, and he was a Muslim, and he came to know Christ. And his family rejected him, exiled him, said, you cannot be part of our family because we're Muslim and you are now Christian, so you can't be a part of our family anymore. So the very first Christmas he had as a 17-year-old living on his own in an apartment he found, he didn't know what to do because he was so alone. So he prepared a Christmas dinner, and he set the table for two. One side of the table had a plate, fork, knife, glass. He filled the glass with water, sat his place, filled the glass with water, and he sat down. And he said, so Jesus, how was your day? And he sat there with Jesus on a Christmas day like he was sitting with an old friend. That's the Jesus we know. That's the invitation we have, is to sit with Jesus and then protect it. Some of us know that. Some of us are in seasons where we, we know what it means to converse with him as a friend. Some of us are in seasons where we've lost it a little bit. Life has kind of beat us up or taken us away. We've drifted, as Mark will say, and we're not sitting there as a friend with Jesus anymore. We have a role to play to get back to that. What do you need to do? What do we need to do to make sure that we're sitting with Jesus and we're walking with him as we would walk with a friend? Do it and then protect it. I don't know if any of you guys went to the cafe, but on the cafe door there's this big white sheet of paper. And there's a reason for that. Please don't take it down. Um, (laughs) This last week, um, we had our sandhill cranes come back they nest out here in the marsh. And the, and the sandhill crane can be four to four and a half feet tall with a wingspan of seven feet. Just an enormous bird. It's a stork-like looking bird. And so on Wednesday morning, um, Kim, our children's assistant, came in and she heard this. And she's like, what? <laughs> what is that? She goes to the cafe, and the sandhill crane is beating its beak on the door. It sees its reflection, and it's protecting its nest, and it's protecting its territory from another male crane, another male sandhill crane. And it's pecking and pecking and pecking, and it pecks so much that it bleeds. And if you come upon this, what you come upon is like a bloody massacre has happened outside the cafe door. It's just blood everywhere. And it's because it's protecting its territory. Protect 
your territory with your friend. Protect it. It was, sorry guys, it was super funny because then we opened the door, we washed it off, and everyone's going, this is not in any of our job descriptions. (laughs) But we're washing off this slimy, gross blood, and then Brendan and Mark, (laughs) they take off. And they go, we, Mark's like, we got to go make noise at it and be really big and like scare it. And, and I didn't ask their permission to do this, so that's why I keep looking over there. And so, and, and they keep like, we got to scare it away. What were they doing? They were, and all of us, it was really literally, the two guys went out to um, go scare the crane away. And the girls were in the cafe watching them. And I really thought about it. I thought, they're really protecting their territory. This innate need to protect your territory. That's right. (laughs) We were all thinking, what are they going to do when they get there? So, but they never stepped into the marsh. The crane just, and I haven't seen the crane be back yet, but we also put up the paper so that it wouldn't see its reflection in the door. Last week, Brendan gave us a mandate. I don't know if anyone caught it at the end of his message. And he said, continue to engage Jesus. I believe that that was a mandate coming from our senior leader for us as a church. Continue to engage Jesus. Continue to engage Jesus. Fight for it. Protect it. Don't give up on finding the way, even if it's changed. It might have been that this way you used to connect with him really well and now you need a new way. Continue to connect and engage with Jesus. Get to know him as your friend. When you're lonely, connect with Jesus. When you don't know which way to turn, connect with Jesus. When you've been offended, connect with Jesus. When you've been hurt, when you've been betrayed, connect with Jesus. Every response we have should be connect with Jesus. When you have something to celebrate, connect with Jesus. Engage him. Invite him to the table. Invite him to sit with you. When your friend or your loved one is dying, engage Jesus. Invite him into the room. Over and over and over, invite him in. When you're worried, when you're afraid, when you're anxious, because we have a friend that will stick with you through anything. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He won't betray you. He's not afraid to be with you when, you're, when your attitude is ugly. He loves you. And he wants to be with you as a friend sitting at the table with you. He'll never let you down. He'll tell you when you're wearing something you shouldn't. (laughs) He'll calm your soul. He'll pick you up when you're down. He'll grab you and pull you out of the pit. Whatever pit you're in, if it's self-pity, denial, discouragement, it doesn't matter. He'll pick you up. He'll take you out of it. He'll renew your mind and change your ways. He'll give you new perspective that will set you free. It will set you free. Engage him. Invite him to the table. That's the kind of friend we have.
No longer slaves, but friends. That's what he calls us in John 15. He says a, master, a slave doesn't know what his master's doing. You see, with Jesus, there's really nothing hidden. God works in mysterious ways. That's a cliche that says we don't always get to know what he's doing. But let me tell you, he's not holding information from us. He loves us, and he wants us sitting at the table with him. He says a, a slave doesn't know what his master's doing, but, but I call you friends because everything the Father has shown me I've given to you, you know it all. So we'll end with this. A three-hour walk takes a long time. Slow down. Where do we need to slow down, set the table? Where do we need to slow down and walk with him? When I went on my pilgrimage last year, Brendan painted a picture for me. It's in my office. And it's an impression of me with a backpack walking along the path. And subtly, if you look close enough, you'll see another set of footprints that he painted in walking next to me. Walk with him as you would walk with a friend. Be still with him. Worship with him. Set a table and a place for him. Walk with him like you'd walk with a friend. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your invitation is so big and so all-encompassing that it includes being a friend like we need a friend to sit with us in everything known and everything unknown. That we don't have to put on a face, we don't have to say the right words, we don't have to use a certain voice. We can just sit with you and talk. It's your invitation to us, and it's probably one of the best invitations we could get. So we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray over the offering. We have a lot of things going on here, Lord, that you're directing us to. The mandate to continue to engage with you. The, the call to be the hands and feet of people who need water and need food and need supplies and need to know they're seen and they're loved. to our own ripples of legacy that we need to develop here within us from our lives out. There's a lot of things you've got going on here, Lord, and so we pray that we would be good stewards of the money. We pray that when we give, we know that we're giving to a greater cause that will have long-lasting effects. So I pray a blessing over the, the offering that you would multiply it in that it would do what you intend for it to do. In Jesus' name, amen.
comes to your spirit, when it comes to your presence, when it comes to your voice, I'm learning to listen, just to rest in your nearness, I'm starting to Be still, my soul. 